behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here with episode 134. Casey, give it to us. All right, 134. We promise today's episode won't be a bore. Good one, Casey. I, know. I was proud of that one. That one makes me really happy. I've probably used it on any other episode that ends in four, but that's okay. <laughs> that's that's okay. At least you're not calling the guest a whore, you know? <laughs> that's true. Probably done that before too, so whatever rhymes. <laughs> yep. With that, I am super excited for today's guest, but before we get to today's guest, um, you know, we like to make the movie about us, so <laughs> I think it's time to give ourselves a review of the day. And if you are someone who has left us a review, thank you so freaking much. We literally live for them. And if you have not left us a review, it's the least you could do for us getting on here and putting this content out for you all the time. I mean, we are searching for guests, interviewing the guests, pre-interviewing, whatever it is. So if you want us to keep doing this for you, this is your not-so-subtle prompt to go leave a five-star review. And unfortunately, it's only on the Apple Podcast app, but you could listen to us anywhere and keep listening, and we love you for listening. What's your hashtag? Oh, I was going to say hashtag she's not shameless at all. (laughs) Or you are shameless. Hashtag shameless, yeah. Yeah. All right, there we go. All right, and we want to thank this person, Josh Christ. It says, engaging, inspiring, and entertaining. So pumped I found Leah and Casey. This show is a must-listen if you're going through the process of deepening your ABA knowledge. But even if you're just casually interested in how behavior analysis impacts everyday life and why we make the decisions we do from a range of experts who walk the walk, you'll love it. Highly recommend listening and subscribing. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, Josh Chris. That was very, very sweet of you to take the time and leave that review. We appreciate I am it so Josh much. Chris. Wasn't it a good one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thank you, Josh. Just joking. That's funny. I mean, I wouldn't put it past you, but. I know, but unfortunately you could only leave one review on a phone. So like, yeah, I've done it on my mom and dad's, but I <laughs> couldn't go any further than that. <laughs> oh, and the only ones that are good about you are the ones you've left probably. <laughs> JK. All right. So I'm super pumped today about our guest because it's just a combo that I love so much. He's such an awesome guy. And when we pre-interviewed him, we always get a good, like, if you get a good vibe and a good energy on the pre-interview, you're pumped up for the podcast. So we had one. So let me just give a quick little intro. Then I'm going to let him tell you about himself. But his name is Carrie Magro. Dr. Carrie Magro. So that must mean he has a PhD, which is awesome. Um, he's an award-winning national speaker and best-selling author. Carrie has become a role model in the disabled community. He was nonverbal at two and a half years old and diagnosed with autism at four. Carrie has overcome countless obstacles to get where he is today, one of which is a TED Talk that we watched that we both loved about what happens to children that grow up that have autism to become adults with autism. And that's near and dear to my heart because that is where my professional career landed me was working with adults with autism. So Carrie, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. 
Oh my God. Thanks so much for coming. Are you kidding me? Yeah, we were so stoked when you agreed to come on. Oh, I was stoked too. I was stoked too. It, w- it definitely went both ways for sure. And also the coolest thing, a uh, shout out to Morgan, um, who, when yes. he told her that he was meeting with us, she was like so excited. And I just want to say, he might have helped love. us land you on the show. Yeah, get <laughs> excited. That's that's basically Pro- the point. Probably, so thank you, Morgan. Probably. You know, it's funny. I, I followed up with her afterwards, and she said that she actually took your course too to uh, pass her uh, BCBA. So get out. Yeah, not only podcasts, but also your course. So that is super cool. loyal as wow. can be. Morgan, sending so much love. Thank yes. you. So Carrie, I just want you to take us back. Talk to us about your your history and everything. Yeah. Uh, so I was a non-speaking child. I wasn't reaching many developmental milestones that my peers were. And my parents were like, it was I was two, I was just going on my second birthday, and they were like, why is my son not speaking yet? So they waited another six months and they were like, you know what, we got to do something. So they spent 18 months and they found out when I was four that I was diagnosed with a pervasive developmental disorder, now that I specified a form of autism. And I grew up with a lot of communication challenges, a lot of sensory related challenges. I didn't start speaking complete sentences until I was seven. But luckily, my, my parents became not only my greatest champions, but I consider them two of my best friends today as an adult. And uh, I, I received occupational speech, physical, and then later music and theater therapy as I was growing up to overcome many of my obstacles, to get my degree at Scene Hall before getting a master's, to become one of the few professionally certified public speakers on the autism spectrum in the country, also at Scene Hall, then get my doctorate in education. So hopefully I can pay it forward. Uh, Because I've been blessed with a lot of uh, just things in my life and I want to try to pay it for it. And one of the best ways I think I can do that is just trying to educate people about those with disabilities. So that kind of led to my career. I've been speaking full time for 10 years and consulting and get an opportunity to uh, live my dreams. And uh, I I never take any day for granted, for sure. So inspirational. And and just such like, um, I remember in your TED talk, you had said, Again, you were non, non-vocal um, as a kid, and now you're standing on a stage. Me- you have to memorize those speeches, right? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> well. I was a theater kid. I was a theater kid growing up, so uh-huh. it's like I, I was my my first play was like I was 12 years old. I was playing the PBS uh, show Arthur. Mm-hmm. I was Arthur, and uh, I, I I grew up just like wanting to get more involved with like playing different characters and that kind of pivoted when I became an adult I was like I already know how to be on stage but how can I use my message of promoting disability advocacy to a good cause and I was like oh my god people make money public speaking and I figured what a great avenue to connect the two and trying to help others so talk to us about your um advocacy that you do because it's very very important and I think that a lot of families struggle with what to do when their kid with autism grows up to be an adult, an autistic adult, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most importantly, what I tr- try to do is I try to defeat stigmas going on in our community. I really try to normalize the human condition. There are so many people with a wide range of differences in this world, whether they're neurodiverse, whether they're autistic, whether they have ADD, ADHD, the list goes on and on. But 
we all have differences. Some of them make us who we are. And then some of them are ones that we constantly have to challenge ourselves to try to overcome. So I really try to focus on diversity, equity, inclusion. And that's where most of my work comes in. I speak in K through university. Uh, I wrote a children's book, so I get an opportunity to speak in pre-K schools about celebrating differences, all the way to businesses about hiring practices and tapping into untapped talent pools in our disability community. I love what I do simply because every single day is something new. Sometimes it's out of this world crazy, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it, it's something I wake up with a with a new challenge, but also a new story. And I I, I love storytelling, so it's uh, it's it's definitely been a fun road. And do you do stuff? And, and I could be wrong, but with like housing for like. Yeah. So ironically enough, when I start, when I decided for the first time, I was just getting uh, just in my first year of my master's. And I was like, I, I knew of a bunch, a bunch of young, like 20 year olds who had 501c3 nonprofit organizations. And I was like, cool. What is that? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and people told me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a nonprofit. You know, you can fundraise and you can do all this. I'm like, I don't know how to do any of this. <gasps> Uh, but I realized that uh, there were a lot of kids who were looking up to me, even as a young 23, 24 year old, on how to pursue being an adult. So I filed my 501c3, KFM Making a Difference, and it's been going on ever since. And uh, one of our big miss missions, though, in the future is focus on housing. Because uh, like I mentioned in my TED Talk that's on YouTube, children with autism will become adults with autism, and we, re we need to be right for them. So we give scholarships for autistic students to go to college. We've given out 130 in the past 10 years now. And then also our big mission right now is to try to help people regardless of where they are in the spectrum, try to find housing, whatever that looks like for them. So I just want to take things back for a second. And this is a question that, you know, it's like working as long as I have in, you know, the autism space, having a sibling with autism and, you know, a lot of things have changed over the years since even when I was in grad school. So it used to be, like we, it was drilled into us like people first language, right? So it was like, okay, an individual with autism, an individual with um, uh, dyslexia or, you know, whatever it was. And now I find myself like not wanting to say a word for an individual with autism or an autistic individual. I don't even know where to go because I don't know if it's, so I want to ask you, as someone who is on the spectrum, how, what is the best way to refer to an individual diagnosed with autism? Sure, absolutely. If they could communicate for themselves, you should always go by the language that they feel most comfortable with. That's the number one rule when it comes to language. Uh, if they can't, uh, I know many 
people in the deaf and autism community prefer identity first. So identity first, we're talking about an autistic person or a deaf person versus person first, where we're talking about a person who's deaf or an individual with autism. So my, my validation is that autism has made me who I am as a person. My laser key focus, key interests are the reason why I am the person I am today. So I consider myself autistic, but I know so many people in our community who prefer themselves as person with autism. So it's really just about letting that self-advocate lead the conversation and what they prefer to be called. Do you, do you, have you seen though at all following, like it's almost at least what the media gives out. It's like, okay, this is what people are going by now, but really I guess it is an individual thing because, you know, I've seen it's like, it's inappropriate to use people first or it's inappropriate to use this. And so I'm like, Ah, what do I say? But I guess it's really about. I love that answer, like asking the person, right? And that's kind of what, you know, sometimes I get caught up when I'm typing up show descriptions of like, like, what do I say individual with her? But then when I ask them, they're like, oh, this is how I like it. And I'm like, well, then that's exactly how I'm going to refer to you because that's what you've told me. Yeah, we, we, we just got off a call this morning with a sport company and we're doing professional development for them. We're doing a lunch and learn. And they said to me, I like your presentation, but can we really focus a lot more on uh, labels and what to discuss, whether it be high functioning or low functioning, whether it be person with autism or autistic person, because a lot of our employees really have a little bit of a confusion when it comes to people with disabilities in the workplace and what to call their fellow coworkers. Mm-hmm. So it's something that, that like, regardless if you're in a school-based setting or in a workplace setting, is a very, very popular topic right now to discuss because there is a lot of confusion. But at the end of the day, if you just follow the lead of the people who are currently impacted by those disabilities, that's the right way to go. I love it. Thank you for that. All right. So I, I want to ask you something because I'm, I'm getting excited over here. Uh, Casey and I watched your TED Talk together. And when you were doing your TED Talk, you know, you're talking about individuals growing up and, you know, still having different needs and still growing up and needing to think about independence, living alone, um, working, all these different things. And I mean, you know, it's interesting because I've been on the side both as like the BCBA working with families, but I've also been on the side of, you know, seeing it like I know my parents' biggest fear is like what happens when we're not here anymore. I mean, it's my biggest fear, too, because I love my parents, but also, you know, it's just it's unchartered, you know, territory for us. yeah. Yeah, unknown. And it's just, you know. And so when you talk about these, first of all, I just like, I want to thank you for doing talks on this because I know already, like when a parent finds out their kid is different in any way, like, I mean, even when I heard that like Kobe chipped his tooth, I'm like, oh my God, what did I do as a parent? I wasn't watching him, you know? So like a lot of parents, when they hear like, oh my, and a lot of parents are, oh my God, like, what, what am I going to do now? What does my life look like? So to even think that forward into this child of mine is going to grow into an adult and you talking about those different things. Like what are some of these questions that you see uh, 
parents or families typically dealing with and, you know, trying to figure out a game plan for? Yeah, I mean, to be fully transparent, I, for, I, I was out on a date with a girl last night who has a brother who is in an assistive living facility. And we had a few drinks. We had a good time. But I was literally thinking about the entire time about the the whole impact of the spectrum of autism, because there are some individuals It's like right now I'm, I'm talking to somebody in special need housing in Newark, New Jersey, and I'm based in Hoboken, New Jersey. And we're talking about like what different housing communities look like. And at the end of the day, it's so broad. I mean, some is assistive living, some is 24 seven care, some is having a mentor, somebody in the area to help them with vocational skills so they can go out for a job and, and still receive support so they can be helped with the transitions. Uh, I always give the advice to the parents that you always need to meet your child or adult where they are in their own development, but then also at the same time, start saving today. I, 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 I can't stress enough. There are countless legislation bills going around, such as the Achieving Better Life Expectancy Act that provides tax-free savings accounts for individuals with disabilities to start saving today for what the future is going to have in store. I always think investing and saving is really, really important. Uh, and, and and just realizing that even though many times it's, it's, it's not a, a sprint, it's a marathon, it's important to realize that when your kids age out of school, there are going to be out-of-pocket costs, typically, for many individuals within our community, regardless of their uh, less substantial support needs. Like myself, I still have sensory challenges. I still need a, a few sensory requirements to help myself in my day-to-day -day life. And there are going to be other individuals who are going to need much more. So save today and realize that even though it is a marathon, we, we need to think about the future as much as possible too. Also with that, just if anyone's listening, um, which I actually was surprised when you guys were speaking in our pre-interview about, like, I know that, you know, individuals, it is our, um, you know, they are entitled to, you know, to schooling and these different things up until 21. But when you guys, I, and I, I knew that, but I assumed they could figure out, like they could finish out their, their school year when they're 21. And then when you guys told me, no, it's like their birthday. I'm like, what? Like they're literally mm -hmm. done with like the education system. Yeah. That's when the budget gets cut and there's really not a lot of um, preparation for that, right? There's no one paying for someone to come in because now the adults that I worked with would leave their high school and if they're lucky, get into a good day program. But the day program looks a lot different than a school day and they're going to have a new staff and they're going to have a new routine. And as we know, all of those things change in general is challenging for anyone. And so there's really not much of a preparation for that big giant change in their life. Um, which I think should be another piece of legislation that goes in that they get a year of transition program, right? Like where that one-on-one -on -one that's going to be working on with them comes into the school for, you know, parts of the day and gets to know them and they take them out of school some of the times. Um, my company that I worked for, we started doing that as a nonprofit 
And it made such a difference when the adults transitioned to the day program because they were like used to it and excited for this independence and this like hanging out with their one-on-one and like learning like cool shit, right? And so, yeah, that's that's a big issue in the um, in the system. Yeah, we, we we need to have larger conversations around that transition uh, because there are still so many high schools that don't emphasize a transition IEP which in most states it's 14, some states it's 16, that provides these students who do receive an individualized education plan what the future is going to be in store, giving them a blueprint and for that family on what we're looking at, whether it's employment, whether it's post-secondary, whether it's it's housing. Um, it's really, really important that we're really emphasizing to high schools as well about the importance of that transition and bringing in daycare groups into the schools to be a part of PTA meetings and part of CPAC meetings. So these high school students, when they do age out, understand a little, and their families understand more about what resources are available for them. Yeah. And having, um, I mean, as I was saying, like, you know, most parents are working full time, they're busy it's it's something that it's a skill to be able to advocate for your child when they do age out of the system and of the school district. Um, so that should be something that is a team that people work on together so that the parents don't feel so alone. And at, like I said, change being so hard, you're going to see a lot of behavioral difficulties too, because now their routine is off. So not only are they aging out of the system with all that support that they had, now they're you know, maybe home. What are you going to do if they don't get into a program, they don't get funding. So really setting them up for that success is something that should be instilled in that process. So I want to ask a question about, um, and I feel like whenever someone, like I always want to tell people this, but I don't feel like I have the correct information. Um, And that is, and I remember like when I went to University of Maryland in one of my classes for my special ed major, we had to like, uh, but it was for the state of Maryland. It was like we had to like do this like scavenger hunt of information about getting people onto lists and different things like that. And I live in Texas and I know my brother was on whatever these so-called lists are from a young age. Um, and do you know what I'm talking about? Like getting on these lists for... Um, yeah, waiting lists. Yeah, yeah. Like for, services. Like, for services. Yeah, for services. And I don't know if it's like social security or... Maybe like you could just, if a parent is listening um, and, and I'd always be like, well, mom, how did you know what to put him on? You know? And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, like his special ed teacher when he was in like whatever grade told, told me to like sign up to get on these lists. And I was thinking like, oh, well, I was a special ed teacher and like, I don't know that I would know to tell people to get on at this, you know, at this age or whatever, whenever they should be doing it. And I, I know now that, like, that list he was on is what pays for his, like, day have that he's in in the afternoons or whatever it is. So are you able to offer any advice on – or just what are these lists that I'm talking about? What, what list are they and how do you get on them? 
Sure, absolutely. So one of the greatest recommendations I give the families is the American uh, Speech, Language, and Hearing Association. On their website, they have a wide range of lists of <laughs> groups in uh, domestically in the United States uh, and what they provide in terms of resources. Some wait lists are uh, for daycare programs. Some of them are for specific therapies uh, that affiliate nonprofits like Autism Society of America affiliate chapters might have in, have in, in their area. Um, so that's the that would be the one recommendation. It's just asha.org. And if they also want to check this out, I also on my website, I have a list of free autism resources across the lifespan. It's literally just a bit.ly link. I believe it's bit.ly uh, slash uh, free autism resources. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I, I did this list because I receive about 300 to 350 uh, actually, no, sorry, 100 to 150 emails. It's, it's so many emails. I, I, the average, it's like escapes me from time to time. Anyways, I, get, I receive about 100, 150 emails a day from parents, therapists. And I decided like during my journey, I, I needed to do something to consolidate all this information. So I did a frequently asked question list. But after I did that list, I got so many emails from parents who were like, this is so great to hear more about your journey. What helped you growing up? What therapies you used? But now how do I get those supports for my child? And that's when I created a free list of autism resources for our community to take advantage of, including things like uh, social security income, SSDI, and what all that looks like and how you could sign up for it if your child is not currently getting it. Because, I mean, there was just so many different parts that I remember, like, once my brother turned 18, it was, like, my parents had to, like, go to, like, court to become, like, legal guardians and, like, all this. And I was just, like, I'm, like, wait, like, this is my background, what I studied. Like, I, and if someone comes to ask me this, I couldn't tell them. So, I mean, that's amazing to know there are these resources to help you figure out what list to get on because, I know it's important the earlier you get on them, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then also just uh, continuing to save because I, I can't tell you how many kids I know in school whose parents have, have to pay out of pocket for new and upcoming therapies like equine therapy and so many other different therapies that are not covered by a typical insurance plan. So like music therapy or music therapy yeah. also. Yeah. Had yeah. to pay out of pocket for that. It's <laughs> so interesting. Cause my, I was lucky enough to work with a family who had the financial resources to have equine therapy and music therapy for their son. And it made his day program so much better than the other clients whose families didn't have those funds because then they're kind of just sitting around doing nothing. Like most of the time I saw, and I was like, we'd be going off to all these different therapies and play therapy, music therapy, equine therapy. And to see like the fact that his tantrum, like really self-injurious behaviors mainly happened when he didn't have things to do was like, wow, this is th those therapies do work. Yeah. Or activities. Yeah. yeah, the activities, just or like activities. doing something, yeah. challenging them. Like, it just, it was amazing. Um, and I know that's yeah. not everyone's case, but like you said, start saving and 
invest in those socially significant, important things that are going to help your adult transition. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend that all families definitely either start a, a, a investing account and just doing five to 10% of their monthly income, uh, look into Roth IRAs and just putting down like a, a, a short minimum amount and then just investing on that and continuing that four years to come and just saving. So when the future comes, not only for yourself and also in retirement as well, but also your, your child will will have a better structure around them financially when they reach adulthood. That's great advice. Well, I kind of want to talk about the next section is this book behind your head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Autistics on autism. So what kind of inspired you to help create this book and what is it? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, when I was 25, uh, I, I was just starting off speaking for the first time. And so many of my mentees at the time were like, Carrie, I know all these speakers who have books. So why don't you have a book? And I was like, good point. So <laughs> I, I, I decided to start uh, writing about uh, my experiences first telling people about my autism when I was about 19 years old, when I was just a freshman in college, because I think I have an invisible disability. Whenever I go up to people and I tell them I have autism, they say, oh, you don't have autism or you don't look like you have autism. So uh, I wrote a book called Defining Autism from the Heart that year. I didn't know what to expect. Three days after it came out, it became an Amazon bestseller on specialty parenting. And it continued to give us a platform to talk about topics that were impacting the autism community. So I wrote a book a year later on Amazon called Autism and Falling in Love about gaining relationships for those with disabilities and those who are on the spectrum. Uh, a children's book called I Will Light Up Blue a few years later. And then the book behind me, Autistics on Autism, uh, 100 stories were highlighted of autistic adults and what helped them navigate their childhood into adulthood to succeeding in a post-secondary program today in the hopes of not only inspiring, but also educating our community about what adult autism looks like, where 100% of the proceeds from this book that's on Amazon go directly back to our nonprofit to support our many initiatives like our sensory-friendly events, our scholarship program, and our advocacy initiatives. You're like so amazing. <laughs> Just like so, like that's a you're lot. amazing. It's like a lot of, <laughs> that's like a lot of amazing stuff that you're doing for your community and for you know that only gives us more resources as BCBAs and therapists to provide families. When we, like Liat said, she was a special educator and had no idea what to tell parents with a lot of this stuff. And well, I did for like a minute after that school project, but then I forgot, and it was only for Maryland, so. <laughs> And I live in Texas. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's like, it's just so great to be able to talk with someone who, you know, went through that childhood that you had and, um, you know, are able to navigate that relationship with the parents and understand like, hey, guess what? Like my parents also got that I was nonvocal and di the autism diagnosis. And, you know, now like what you said in the beginning of the episode that they're your best friends and your biggest advocates. It's like really amazing to hear. Well, 
I, I was just glad to have the platform that I do to be able to continue to write stories that I hope will benefit the community. And, you know, like one one typical question I get from parents is not only what will happen to my child when I'm gone, but another one is, especially for those who uh, haven't reached a lot of mental milestones, is I just wish I could have 10 to 15 minutes to look through the eyes of my child. And that has kind of motivated me in my career to not only highlight my story, but realize that I'm the expert in my autism Mm -hmm. and I'm not necessarily going to be the expert in the next person's autism. So let's continue with my platform to try to highlight more self-advocates in the hopes of giving these parents perspectives. And then hopefully one day they see a video, they see a story in, in one of our books and they realize wow, this reminds me a lot of my child and hopefully it will benefit them in, in the futures of their childs. So now I need to get a little nosy just because that's who I am. Um, do it, do it. And, <laughs> you know. Lay it on me. You know, I, I do feel like it's, you know, it's common talk. People will be like, you know, I went out with this person and I swear he had autism or whatever it is. And it's like, they're using the word so incorrectly. So I've worked in the field with individuals with autism and I, I feel or would feel like, oh, I have a pretty good idea like to, you know, be like, I can't diagnose, but I could say, you know what, it's probably highly likely that this individual has autism, whatever it is. But then I see someone like you, right? And as you say, it's like, it's an invisible illness. I also have one with lupus and people are like, you're totally fine, which is like, and I'm like, you don't know what I'm dealing with inside. Um, but... I want to know how does your autism affect you on a daily basis? And because like on the outside, I'd be like, oh, wow, it looks like this person like must have just come, you know, but which I know it doesn't work like that. So how does it affect you on a daily basis? Uh, I stim still to a great length. It's stimming uh, for people at home. It's like, for, for me, it's just moving my hands back and forth and rubbing my hands together whenever I have too much sensory input coming in, such as loud noise. Uh, for example, I was at a bar last night and I was out till I was, I'm a Laker fan. So I was watching uh, LeBron get the uh, all-time scoring uh, in passing cream. And anyways, long story short, uh, lots, lots of loud people screaming, cheering. And sometimes that still overwhelms me a little. Even though when I was a kid, I, w- I would just go into a meltdown. I, I would put my myself in the fetal position and I would put noise canceling headphones over my ears and I would try to come back to a place of normalcy and, and build on, you know, self-awareness. Uh, today, I still I still do those little things. I do those little stems. Uh, I still have challenges understanding the perspectives of others. Uh, I, I was so thrilled to be the consultant on last uh, seasons, uh, Netflix, Love on the Spectrum, U.S. Because that is so cool. By the way, I thank you. I, I I didn't get the opportunity to be a cast member, but I learned so much being a crew member as a consultant, and getting to see so many people who reminded me such uh, such as myself when I was their age, when I was in my young 
early 20s, not being able to understand the the perspectives of others and trying to understand things like um, nonverbal language and body language. I still deal with challenges with that today. But uh, I, I like you went out last night on a date. Would you say that is like a challenge for you to like pick up on like or you feel like you've improved in that area? Uh, I think I've improved in that area simply because of I've, I've always been very candid about open communication and the importance of, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to get into, you know, disputes every once in a while. But we should just be open and honest with each other about uh, as much as we can for uh, us to build not only a relationship, but a partnership. So that's really one of the most important things that I think I've learned over the years just from uh, confusing situations in the dating world, for sure. So those are the two things, the stimming from time to time and definitely the uh, mind blindness and not being able to understand people's perspectives at times, too. Wait, I have a question. Did you ever get to meet Abby and David? (laughs) Uh, Abby is delightful i love her so much i follow her on tiktok and i swear to god she lights up my life she 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 definitely for people i talk to definitely gives like off alicia silverstone clueless types but then (laughs) it's also like she she she's just naturally who she is and yes i wish more people were like that i totally agree i just love everything i love how her mom like you know, post her stuff. Yeah. And like, let's, it's like, oh yeah, she drinks wine. Yeah. She does like, like she can do everything that anyone else can do. Cause some people, you know, be like, oh my God, I can't believe you let her drink. It's like, she's an adult. Like yeah, it's fine. She's an adult. And oh, I can't <laughs> believe you're, you're filming her. It's like, Abby likes this. Like if she didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. Um, but oh my God, I literally love her so much. Abby, yeah, if you're listening, she- I love you. And come yeah. on our show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on this show for sure. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. She has like 1.2 million TikTok followers. I'm she's like, just what? so like, she's just <laughs> who she is. She's just so good. Yeah. And it resonates with people for sure. It totally does. All right. I have one last question that I think will wrap it up. But as professionals in, I know that you didn't have ABA therapy when you were growing up. And I know that we have gotten some shit, right, in the, the field of ABA with the autistic community. Um, but anyone listening that are parents or working in this, with this population, this community, how can we just help prepare children and do the best work we can do? Like, what would you have wanted or what would, what could have, you know, what did help you? What do you think you can share as any last advice? Yeah. I mean, the the most important thing again is to avoid stereotypical ways that we look at autism and other disabilities. Realize that, for example, so many people when I was growing up were like, oh, he's, he, he, his autism is like Rain Man. It must be, he must be great at math. He yeah, must have yeah, yeah. a photogenic memory. He must be able to win you a lot of money in the blackjack tables. It's going to look different for every single person. Establish a rapport and make sure that you meet them where they are, because I I can't tell you, especially for the non-speaking population, we have 40% of autistic individuals in the United States are non-speaking. And the importance of, if you hear any sounds, mimic those sounds, make sure you're always trying to 
just find ways of helping that child communicate. Um, and then also just realize that the, the goal is communication, not speech. I, I feel like a lot of families I talk to, I talk to just keep posting questions. Just like my child doesn't talk. How can I get them to talk? And I'm like, have you considered American Sign Language? Have you done a Toby Lightwriter? Have you tried Proloquo the Go? Have you done the apps? Have what what are you doing in 2023 to associate yourself with other ways of, of helping that child? So meet them where they are, nurture strengths as much as you can. We live in a society where sometimes in the disability community, everyone thinks of disability as a disease, realize that it's not a disease, and then just try to nurture those strengths because a lot of the times in, in school, it feels like a deficit model. We focus 99.9% .9 of the time mm -hmm. on what our, our students' challenges are, but what are we doing to nurture those strengths. My dear friend, Dr. Temple Grandin has a great quote. She says, interests and talents can turn into careers, but that starts with nurturing strengths from an early age. Early intervention, similarly, is a key for therapies, but it's also a key when we're talking about finding those strengths. So they can start those at an early age. So when they do become adults, hopefully they'll be able to maximize those in careers, post-secondary, et cetera, and so forth. And just following up on what Casey said for anyone listening, ABA has got a bad name in the past. In fact, I took Kobe to a little gym class the other day and there was a a, a young boy in there and I, I don't know, the, he was jumping all over, you know, the equipment, not really sitting in the singing part of the group, but Kobe also wasn't interested. And she was like, oh, I just want you to know, like, I'm sorry, he has autism. And I was like, oh, it's totally fine. I was like, oh, I, I you know, that's that's my, that's my people. That's who I work with, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, like, and it was actually his nanny. And I was like, oh, cool. Is he in ABA therapy? Just ask it, you know? And she's like, is that the really controversial one? And I was <laughs> like, like <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, hmm, what? ABA? No, no. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we didn't have a great name in the past. And so something I just want to speak on, if anyone is listening, is and I'm sure, uh, Carrie, you've heard people come and talk about ABA in terms of not being great. Have you? Well, yeah, I mean, like all the time. And I mean, most. <laughs> I, I mean, most. Of, mo, mo, oh God! But most of the time, it's, it's most of the time though, it's from and I remember us talking about this earlier but it's like the the idea that a lot of people who bash ABA often don't had never had ABA growing up and are using the Facebook memes they see as the history of ABA for them and it's really about finding the right practice and I feel like a, a, a long time ago like decades ago we were using ABA as a way of curing yes. autism, yep. which is a, mm -hmm. what a lot of the research organizations were, you know, trying to do. And now even research organizations are not saying, oh, we need to cure autism. We need to find ways of helping people who struggle with autism not struggle <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's I, I, I think ABA for some individuals makes perfect sense. I love the one on one attention. I love the focus on behaviors and looking into behaviors, but 
just realize that you need to find the right practice. And then that's it. And a- ABA can do wonders for a child. Well, so well put. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So I just want anyone to know, because a lot of people come to us and are like, well, what do I say for all these people hating it? And I'm like, first of all, acknowledge what they're saying. You know, they Val- may have had a validate. really shitty. Yeah. yeah like yeah. that's the word validate. Um, you know, this is obviously someone's truth as to what they dealt with it. I mean, there's also going to be people who are like just having fun, like joining the rest of the Internet to hate something. But also, mm-hmm. you know. For someone who really yeah. understands what the main principle of ABA being reinforcement. If that was not that for someone, it wasn't ABA. That's it. Like, I mean, they could have been saying it's ABA, but obviously that's not the experience that, you know, we want anyone to have. And so I just want to put that out there. I also think as the field, the field grows. um, And like, I will say, and thank to Leah, I give hats off to her because before like our podcast, the field was like very rigid and very like, just like, like type A strict. This is who we are. This is it. And there was not a lot of dissemination of it. Right. It was very like people were using these big words and like making people feel like shit if they didn't understand the words. And then, I mean, when we first came out with behavior bitches, like four years ago, four and a half years ago. It's been <laughs> so long. Just bitches and people like it, you know? And she's like, let's call ourselves behavior bitches. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and just having all the people that we've had on to be able to open up a community and a dialogue that is safe and, yeah. and talk about what good therapy looks like and not being some kind of like, it's not trying to fit into a box. It's trying to like have those soft skills as a therapist and, understand people's that it's such a spectrum and different you know like you said diversity equity and inclusion and you've got to practice that as a therapist and um i hope i mean i still hope the goal of the podcast is we're still doing it i I really think we are doing a pretty good job but um people like you coming on and just like being so cool and open and sharing your story it's so like heartwarming to me Thank you. Thank you. And where can people find you? And what services do you offer? What 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 should people know about you in general? Because I think a lot of people and I imagine a lot of parents especially are going to be very inspired listening to this or individuals, you know, on the spectrum themselves. Also, Carrie, I just have to say this. OK. OK. You're very you're me. very cute. <laughs> <laughs> Casey's like, literally in heat at all times. Give I'm married, but I, I'm like, <laughs> this whole podcast, I'm like, he is really cute. <laughs> she is. I'm, Thank you. Her social cues are I like. I don't have good social skills. <laughs> okay, he's Appreciate laughing, guys, just so you know. Appreciate the compliment. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, in terms of ways to gain contact with me, uh, so I work with a speaker bureau called the National Speakers Association. I'm a full-time professionally certified public speaker who's always willing to come to schools to speak as part of school assemblies, uh, as part of staff development, and also speaking to parents as part of PTAs and special education parent advisory councils. But most of my work today is with companies. I get the wonderful opportunity to travel the globe and to talk to companies 
as part of employee resource groups, but also diversity, equity, inclusion teams about neurodiversity in the workplace. Uh, so getting the opportunity to speak at Lunch and Learns, getting to speak to hu human resources about tapping into the untapped talent pool, which is the autism community with statistics indicating that up to 90% of autistic adults in the United States are unemployed or underemployed in the United States today, which still blows my mind. Uh, so that's kind of where most of my work is. And then uh, the side work I do, which I do not receive a salary because I want to give back to the community is via my nonprofit organization, KFM Making a Difference, which you can check out at kfmmakingadifference.org. If you have a student who's potentially, or a child who's potentially going to college in the next academic year, definitely check that out and see if- Can people donate there as well? They can, yes. We're, we're 501c3, so, uh, tax deductible donations. Uh, there's a donation form on that site. And then you could also hire me to speak at carriemagro.com where I have a contact form on that website as well. Amazing. Um, and I would suggest everyone go check out his TED Talk so you can understand how well he does speak on such an important topic. And um, yeah. We're going to put all this in the show notes, yes. all of it, his website, where you could donate, where you could help potentially someone you know find a scholarship all of it because i know it's a lot to hear yes. in one place we've got and you carrie you're gonna help us put those together right absolutely carrie thank you, you so you much back. for coming of on course. the show what an amazing Anytime. episode i love this thank yeah, you thank you thank you this was so fun and you know i hope we could come together again to do something and spread more awareness it's amazing yeah, definitely keep me posted on just things that you have coming up. If there's any like specific call to actions, uh, I, I, I kind of was just like blown away, like learning so much is not only the podcast, but you got courses mm -hmm. and you, you do so much tremendous work in the community. If you ever need some social love, yeah. definitely let me know. I'm always willing to put out a link on my social media stories and just, you know, tagging you and giving Back you at you. Love. You want us to post anything? We got you. <laughs> this is like a, a relationship that's formed. It's a friendship. I love it. Casey, slow down. She's trying to date again. <laughs> she does this. She's literally, she uses the line of like, I'm married all the time as like her protection. Like, okay, we get it. Thank <laughs> you. Guys, thanks for tuning in. You know where you can find us. You can find us on our website, behaviorbitches.com, on Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast. On Instagram, Behavior Bitches Podcast, go ahead, leave us a five-star review and write something nice or nothing at all. As always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides a complete podcast studio 
All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Today. 